That is Love's Theme by the Love Unlimited Orchestra. And it was one of the very earliest, if not the earliest, disco instrumental numbers. I remember personally doing a deep study of old churches and manor houses in Nottinghamshire in the early 70s. And um, everywhere I went, believe it or not, even in Sherwood Forest, Robin Hood country, from the cars and in the various pubs you might stop in or sort of in the air tonight, was um, Love's Theme by the Love Unlimited Orchestra. It's actually very powerful, very powerful. And um, that brings me to the whole question of metempsychosis. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about um, the soul. I want to talk about the soul in Christian terms, but in terms that at first may sound to you a little bit like um, sort of non-Old Testament, slightly Greek thought. And I only make the apology for it in that my words about the soul, our souls, yours and mine, is based on observation and not purely on um, a kind of uh, absolutely definite um, deduction from um, some elements in the Old Testament um, uh, and some, in fact, in the New. The body and the soul are united absolutely in life. We know this, but we are constantly struck um, by the... um, It's like we're in a body, but we're, uh, you know, trying to get out, like the traffic song. Someone is dying to be be heard. The reason I, I know it empirically is because people don't ever... They so seldom tell you what they think. Uh, and what they present, even if you can see through it in some generalized form without knowing the particulars of the distinction between how they're presenting themselves and how you intuit they really are or feel, there is a radical difference between the inward and the outward in human experience. And it's, a, it's, it's an empirical difference that we have to take seriously, the very existence of a uh, uh, premeditated but completely unforeseen by others suicide tells you and it's very very widespread that um, what's going on inside is quite different from what appears outside and we have to take account of that and um, people in the romantic era like Keats and Shelley sort of wanted to differentiate the soul so clearly from the body that um, that they would address certain poetry to the soul and yet when you read it sort of you are touched you are amazed and there's a lot in the Wordsworthian world that has that but I want to talk about an experience I had recently the hospital with an old uh, male friend of mine, um, and it connoted uh, something else and uh, about the um, the uh, well. It's it's. I'll tell you what it's all about. It, it comes from that passage I keep referring to from Gerald Hurd in his uh, amazing novel, Doppelgangers, which is, this quote is better than the novel, but I think I've told you about it, where he says, um, a pole put high enough on a dark night will suddenly appear shining white in the high dark because it is intercepting the beam of a searchlight passing over, but otherwise unseen in the clear, dark air. Well, I've tried to say in one of my podcasts that it's as if our true spiritual inner God um, uh, um, God consanguine self, the soul is in us, and it's always looking for this uh, a, a pole put high enough in the darkness of life that it will appear shining, and we'll 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 hit it, we'll intercept it, and we and we'll brighten it up, and it'll be all white. And I've tried to say that bright, incandescent. That this is what happens in romantic love. The people, uh, the reason people in the soul tie podcasts found it so hard to break away is that the the sort of the soul. 
got kind of uh, seduced or allowed itself to be snookered by uh, by a, a pole, which was the possibility of connection, and it attached itself to this person or this relationship or this association so profoundly and completely because it thought it had found God. It had thought it had found um, uh, everything it had been looking for since birth when the connection with God was rent in twain. It suddenly found this high pole, something along the way, a person, a place, an association, usually it's a person, um, brought them in mind of that and kind of diverted the soul in its passage through this um, um, veil of tears, and the soul got stuck. That's what the black uh, African-American Pentecostals refer to as a soul tie, and and, and you got stuck uh, in a bad relationship or an attachment that was did no one any good at all, an ill wind that blows no nobody blows good isn't that what was uh, how the oboe was described once by Danny Kay or somebody like that um and and you get stuck and people get stuck and they don't tell you that they're stuck and they don't tell you that their whole lives are basically kind of paralyzed because of some stuckness relating to a father or a mother or a lover or a wife or a you name it a person and they're not able to progress and move and they sort of stop there and they can stop for 30, 40, 50 years like Miss Havisham in Great Expectations, for whom the rejection of her betrothed on the day of her marriage was so total and so utter and so unforeseen and so shocking and caught her in such a place of accessible and totally, uh, utterly open vulnerability and unprotected, undefended vulnerability that she simply, um, she split. She she went completely, she, she split into two, she went completely mad uh, because of an early adolescent rejection. And uh, she's Part of her is smart as a whip and very subtle, and the other part is hopelessly, hopelessly parked somewhere else. I got an email from someone who'd been touched by the podcast, the first one about soul tie, and this person said that he or she, let's call it they, felt parked forever in a certain relationship. And I thought to myself, you know, that does happen to people. And what the um, what uh, I, I saw, uh, I saw evidence of this. Let me tell you about that, and then let me tell you about dead reckoning and, and the moment of death. The moment of departure, and I'm done. Uh, and then you can go listen. We can listen all once again to this inspiring early 70s Love Unlimited Orchestra hit um, called Love's Theme. I was uh, in in cardiac intensive care with someone whom I cared for very deeply in a parish somewhere, and she had the operation on her heart had gone wrong and she was going to have to go back in after major surgery on her heart and uh, it, there was some question uh, whether she would make it seriously questioned, she was in her 50s let us say a mature and lovely Christian lady a woman of real refinement and sensitivity and thoughtfulness and in real intelligence and um, I, when I went to see her she was completely and totally um, hooked up to, uh, like a, in a, you know, the movie The Magnetic Monster from 1941, she was completely and totally um, coiled in to all sorts of devices and could barely move, could not move, but her eyes were wide open and they were staring at me as I walked in the door. She recognized me and a look of such fright, of such absolute apoplectic fear was on her face. I have never forgotten it. It was 30 years ago or 28 years ago. I've never forgotten it. And um, uh, it happened one more time and another man I knew who was in the same situation in Scarborough uh, 
had the same look of utter fear. And what I saw was, was the soul being prepared to be sundered from the body from which it had become very, very closely attached. And it didn't know what to do. It didn't know where it was going to go. It's like that scene I've described in that wonderful play uh, called The Christians that I talked about, in which the mother of the young African-American youth minister, it, when it finally comes time to the moment, she's an atheist. And the fear, the look of fear in her face as she, uh, as she, as she dissolves, so that is to say, as her soul is rent from her body at the moment of death, the look of, of, of fear is so great, it, it haunts the son, it haunts the, the watcher of the play and the reader of the play, which I have in my hands um, forever. And um, this uh, is something I want to talk one more time about. I was with a guy in, um, in uh, another uh, situation, and he was going to have um, very uh, major surgery on uh, some uh, colon cancer. And uh, the, the, it, it, he, he might die in the midst of it. He'd waited too long. The cancer was extremely invasive, and uh, there was a strong possibility that he might conceivably not even make it through this very lengthy, complex surgery at a university hospital. And um, as I was with him, I happened to be given the privilege of being with him in the pre-op in the exact moment before they put the uh, the medicine in him, and he was going to go out for probably five to seven hours on the gurney on the, on the operating table and they were going out and just as he went out he looked at me he couldn't speak at this point because he had something he was in t- intubation and he couldn't speak but he he looked at me and his eyes fluttered all over the place his his eyelids fluttered but it wasn't that it was his eyeballs his he was awake he was he was alert and his eyes flutter uh, his eyeballs turned up and down and all around in such a way as to say oh my god get me out of here i mean uh, this is serious by the way it's not it's not a joke. He, his eyes were. Oh, oh my God! I'm, 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 I think I'm going to fly away. I couldn't quite tell whether he was getting ready to fly away. I'll fly away in the positive sense of the word. The soul to be united with God. You know what is it? The Fido by Plato, but it also happens to be in the Book of Revelation um, and First uh, Corinthians 15. Uh, to to live is gain. To die, to die is gain. <laughs> to die is better. Uh, to die is gain. To live is Christ. He he, he was was the soul. Uh, saying that it was suddenly realized that it was about to be sundered from the body or uh, it was it suddenly realized the panic that it might be and, and I literally saw the soul I saw the soul and I remember that uh, art of that rather not very good short story by um, George Eliot I forget the name of it right off the bat but it's about um, what happens to the soul at the exact moment of death and there's a, a, a Roger Corman movie called Tales of Terror uh, in which uh, uh, they're testing a man to find out what happens exactly at the moment of death. It stars Vincent Price and Basil Rathbone. And very interesting to people. People like Nathaniel Hawthorne were fascinated by this. They were deeply interested in whether it was possible to know at the point of death what happened. In the same way that Frank Lake was profoundly interested to what happened at the moment of conception. He felt that most human problems that we labor with in life can be traced to the first three months of, of, of life in the womb, i.e. the first trimester. He was that strong on it. So he was sort of the 19th 70s version of Nathaniel Hawthorne or George Eliot, and there are many other stories. I think possibly Tolstoy has a story, but I don't think so. But whatever. 
This is very important. Um, where is the soul going? And I want you to know that this is what it is. Um, as I, my experience and my understanding of uh, of theology is, the soul is the true self, united with God, not the same as God, but united with God. It, it, it is it is sent into this world, into the body, to live and experience for reasons that are sometimes beyond me. And I understand when George Harrison sings, da 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 da, to keep me free from birth, give me peace, give me love, keep me free from. Birth. Birth. From his point of view, the, the, the passage of the soul through the body is full of great danger and great discomfort, and especially if Gerald Hurd is right, when the soul kind of gloms on to some false hope, uh, you know, art is God, or the Museum of Modern Art, as I've said before, or, or Egon Schiele, or, or um, you know, the Yardbirds, or um, David Bowie. I mean, there are so many places, Tennessee Williams, uh, you can believe that a God, the church for that matter, don't, the latter, stay away visibly speaking, the visible church, stay away. Um, you'll be deeply, deeply rent in twain. But um, there's wonderful people in the church, and God is good, and there is something known as the true church. I acknowledge that and believe it. Hope I'm part of it. But hope you are. But um, the, uh, the the glomming on to the false thing, and then when it comes time to die, the attachment that you have to a certain person or a certain memory or a certain uh, situation or a certain living person or something like that, it's you, you can't break it. And when you, you, you when the soul is hurled off into space, i.e. into God's care, if the attachment is so great, it's just like Charles Dickens said it was. All those people outside the window of Scrooge that Marley pointed at, they're all, um, they all have a soul tie. They're not able to go to the heavenly mansions. This is a Christian speaking. This is a devout evangelical Christian, Protestant Christian, um, which is Charles Dickens. He sees so many souls like Marley, uh, having been way too attached, in Marley's case, to money and possessions in this world, and and they're not able, when the time comes of dissolution from the body, to, to, to fly. They're not able to fly away because the ties to this person or that thing or that substance or that particular enterprise, that particular sense of themselves is way too great. And they're simply held back and they simply, they're out there. They're out the window. I'm looking at a window in central Florida right now. And according to Dickens and according to this, there are a lot of people there. You don't want to be one. You just don't want to be one. It's really important. Let me finish by uh, saying that the power of uh, the faith in God and the Christian faith is to release one from these um, seductive, delusional, and ultimately uh, um, deeply damaging false attachments so that when the time comes, you can let go and go into the everlasting arms of the merciful God in Jesus Christ. I'll close by mentioning, uh, you know, we talked about, um, you know, um, what was her name? The famous um, uh, person who studied death and the four stages and the finally the letting go. And yes and no, no one ever does. It's wonderful when they can. And yet we thought in the 70s of this is new. This is, wow, this is so great. These, the, stage, the four stages of dying, the four stages of loss. And it turns out that, you know, the people have known about this forever. This is a deep, deep wisdom that goes way back, although she said it well. She definitely said it well based purely on observation, and she believed it. And there is a movie from 1948 or 49 called Dead Reckoning. That's from whence the podcast takes its title. And in Dead Reckoning, there is a villainous woman played by Elizabeth Scott, a villainous, a truly uh, split, uh, wicked uh, woman who ends up getting quite a few people killed uh, in her desire both for possessing people and possessing money. It's a terrible thing she has in her conscience. And finally, she tries to kill the detective played by Humphrey Bogart, who's generally a good man, is trying to understand and also save the reputation of his best friend from World War II, and the whole thing starts off when he, who's a paratrooper, a former paratrooper, 
flags down, you might say. Right after Mass, a fellow paratrooper who uh, had been highly decorated in the Second World War and had gone into the priesthood, the Catholic priesthood, as a result of his experiences, and he goes, uh, and he's being chased, this Humphrey Bogart character, by his life's in danger, and he finds the priest, who's a good man, and he tells the story to the priest, and at the very end of the movie, without giving it away, but the last five seconds are fantastic, and I can, because it doesn't affect the plot. The uh, terrible woman is in a situation where she's dying. She has really been a villain, a true double-crossing person. As you know, it's not impossible to be female and to be a double-crossing person, a villain, as it's not impossible for a man to be. It's a universal possibility for human beings. And she's dying, and the priest is in there giving her confession at the end. She's a Catholic, and it's very powerful. He's pronouncing the last rites of confession. And she, with her last breath, you might say, turns to Humphrey Bogart, who's there, and says, I don't want to go. I can't go. Please keep me in your pocket. And he says, honey, he says, honey, just, just, I'm a paratrooper. I know what it is to let go. Just hold my hand. And, and let go. We know that she's been shriven of her sins. We know that she has a man who truly did love her. And he does, in fact, still love her in a way, although he sees her for who she was and she tried to murder him at the end. And as he holds her hand, the screen goes, uh, dissolves into a, a paratrooper uh, in World War II jumping out of a plane. And you see the, the uh, parachute opening as the uh, paratrooper glides to earth. And that is um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's uh, stage of giving way. That is, in 1948 terms, what it's all about. And that is what your soul needs to do. And if you're attached like that Gerald Hurd situation, you really have homework to do. It's really important you do this, that you're attached to a person or a memory or a, a segment of your life or a, a, an idea or an institution. Dartmouth College. I met a guy who was totally attached to Dartmouth College. This really needs to be investigated so that you do, in fact, uh, uh, when you let go, the parachute opens and you go into the everlasting arms rather than going straight into the void, uh, tethered to this world by a kind of great anvil that will make you into someone out of uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Thank you very much.